This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, a progress company. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Cody Lindley. How's it going? And today we're going to be talking about ES6. So, Cody, you're a Telerik developer advocate, and you're one of the JavaScript folks on our team. Uh, can you give us a little background about yourself and your relationship with JavaScript? Yeah, sure. I So, I mean, my relationship with JavaScript actually started way back in the mid-90s with ActionScript, um, when ActionScript was, you know, based on some of the the early specifications that uh, JavaScript is based on as well. Um, but I, I mean, I've been working in this space for, uh, you know, almost 20 years, uh, mostly with front end technologies. Uh, you know, you say JavaScript developer, and I kind of see myself as a front end engineer with that happens to program in JavaScript. Uh, but obviously, there's a bunch of other technologies in there. But yeah, I mean, for you know, 15 to 20 years, I've pretty much done uh, ActionScript with Flash and then moving straight over to the web platform and and writing JavaScript for many, many, many years. You know, uh, wrote JavaScript when everybody thought it was a toy language, um, wrote JavaScript when people started, found Ajax, uh, and have been writing JavaScript, you know, now in a more full-time capacity as people are using it for applications. So JavaScript initially, you know, like you said, people saw it as like a toy language, but the importance of JavaScript has changed recently, hasn't it? Yeah, for sure. I think as the, the web platforms developed um, and, you know, has really revolutionized the world in some sense, uh, the the language that went along that with that was JavaScript. And you know, I think you hear this a lot that JavaScript isn't the best language or the most ideal language to program in, but it won because it was attached to the web platform. And I think I'm one of those probably odd people that love the language itself too, um, probably because it's the language I cut my programming knowledge on. And um, it, it, I mean, truth be told, I, I, I'm not. I've not been a professional writing in another programming language. It's the only language I know. So I'm happy that it sort of won in some sense. <laughs> um, it's always nice when that happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've come across all other developers that sort of have jumped languages. Um, and that's just something I've not experienced. And of course I, I get people who tell me I would be a better JavaScript developer if I went and learned another language and came back to it. Um, but it's pretty exciting time to be a JavaScript developer right now, given all the changes in the language. So every time I feel like, oh, I'm kind of bored with JavaScript, uh, I feel like something, something big has happened. So, uh, and of course nowadays that, that would be a ES6. Yeah. A lot of things are changing and a lot of that's been brought up recently because of these changes with ES6. So before we get too far into talking about what ES6 is, let's kind of give people out there that aren't familiar with the term 
even ECMAScript. Uh, kind of a little background of what ECMAScript really is. Yeah, so I, so ECMAScript is a standards body. Um, and I think the confusion here comes that a lot of people re- will refer to JavaScript, the language itself, as ECMAScript, when in fact, um, you know, uh, ECMAScript is a standard body's body. I think they're in Europe. Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure exactly where. Uh, but they're just a standards body that has rules and is organized and... Um, they have subcommittees uh, that create specifications or standards and submit those to be standardized. And ECMAScript uh, International is just that standards body. So you mentioned things earlier like ActionScript. Uh, those things kind of are rooted in ECMAScript because they, they kind of get standardized there and then they're turned later on into JavaScript or ActionScript or you know, the features get picked up in these other languages. Is that correct? Well, yeah, the, I, I, you know, as I understand it, part of the point of this ECMAScript standards body is, is that other, um, other systems can come and take the ECMAScript standard and base other languages on it that are used in different environments than the web platform itself. So, so when we say something, when we say ES6, what we're saying is a shorthand for ECMAScript 6. So this is the sixth revision of the standard. Is that how it goes? Uh, what What is this, uh, you know, ec- yeah. ECMAScript 6 or ES6 <laughs> six definition? I think it would be, I mean, even to say ES6 would sort of, uh, you know, presumes that there's been a, a, you know, a one and a two and a three and a four and a five and... <laughs> That just hasn't been the history of how it's gone. I, I mean, sort of in a nutshell, most people for the last 10 to 15 years have written ECMAScript 3, and the language just didn't change a whole lot for quite some time. And, um, you know, mid-2000s, I believe, I could be wrong in that, uh, I believe, you know, a, the subcommittee of the people who create these the standard got together and tried to evolved the language and um, they didn't get very far and they were kind of divided and that's a whole story you can look it up on the internet uh, but th- where they ended up is this sort of small evolution fixing some major things that needed fix a major developer headaches they tried to to just sort of a stopgap type thing and that's where how we got ES5 and that was I don't think that was finalized until the end of uh, the 2000 some maybe around 2010. Um, and then, of course, you have slow browser adoption and all that. Uh, but um, essentially, we we were kind of, uh, what, five years past ES5, and now we're getting ES6. Um, and ES6 is just a continued evolution of the language, but one that was actually significant enough, um, I think, to catch up to how we were using the language. Um And what I mean by that is we have started to build very, very sophisticated things in JavaScript and the language was lagging behind and ES6 has sort of caught us up to that. Yeah, you see this a lot uh, with web technologies, uh, especially with like HTML and HTML5 being uh, standardized uh, and it's taking forever. Um, so, you know, the technology in, on the web always lags behind standard-wise. We, we kind of follow things that people are creating by the seat of their pants. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, uh, given... <laughs> it is interesting how slow it's moving and, and how... Um, how much effort over the last couple of years has been to speed that up a little. Uh, and it just, I mean, this is all just a maturing process. I think, I think it's going to get faster here. So what's the significant importance of the S six then? Is it that we have a new standard that they're working on or what, what are we, what should we expect from it? I think there's a couple of facets here. Probably the first one off the top of my head is that just that the, that they are attempting not to stagnate again. Um, in fact, this is why they've, you know, we're using the term ES6, but um, this committee who creates the standard uh, would like us to be using the term JavaScript 2015. And as I understand it, the point of using this term is, is to denote that in 2016, JavaScript will change. There will be, you know, they'll... They'll spend six months updating the specification um, and then six months uh, prepping it to be standardized and getting it approved and then having it standardized and then having it ready for the JavaScript environments to roll out those changes. And that's a pretty big change in the JavaScript community. Um, so when you say, you know, what's significant, I think the momentum around it and the rate in which they want to evolve the language is drastically changed, which is pretty awesome. And then, of course, uh, you know, ES6 is is sort of that, like we were saying, that thing that we needed, you know, five years ago and we finally got, <laughs> right? So depending upon yeah. the develop type of developer you are, we're talking about things like, an, you know, an actual module system built into the language that considers a developer who wants to build a mo modular software or, you know... Uh, a software system broken into several different modules. Um, it's sort of helpful when that's built into the language. Yeah, I think we've kind of settled on a bunch of pseudo standards of uh, where people have de developed pat patterns and practices to kind of fill in the gaps for now. So are you saying ES6 might kind of eliminate the need for some of that? Yeah, I, I think we've, we have realize that we can't use um, uh, nuances and nuanced patterns of the language for modules um, at, that we needed the real McCoy. And in ES6, they finally delivered that. And, and in fact, I mean, uh, people ask me what I often what I think the most important thing is or what I wanted the most or what I've been saying for years. I wish I had this and it would it would be modules. I didn't particularly like the phase of the JavaScript world where we had CommonJS and AMD specifications. Um, I mean, they got us one step out, you know, one step further out of hell, so to speak, but we're still in <laughs> hell. Yeah. Um, and gosh, I don't know if people are going to like that characterization, but that's, <laughs> that's kind of how I, f I felt about it. Um, and it's finally here, right? Like I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked about uh, modules that the browser will understand and the language itself uh, takes it into account. It's pretty awesome. And of course, that's you know that's only one aspect. I you know there's other p leaders in the JavaScript world that think there's more important things than modules. Uh, I just happen to think that that modules themselves 
will have the most effect to the most type of uh, JavaScript developers out there, whether you're a beginner or advanced. Now, when you talk about modules, uh, can you go a little bit more in depth, uh, maybe somebody that hasn't seen one before? Um, how would you describe modules to somebody that hasn't used them? Yeah, I think, um, gosh, that's a hard question because most programmers coming from other languages step up to JavaScript and kind of like, what? There's there's, <laughs> there's no there's no module system built into this language? That's crazy. Um, and then you have people who are just new to programming that come to it through JavaScript that you have to explain to them dependency management and why you import modules into modules, then they are there for you to use in that module. And there's a whole dependency tree that's created um, behind the scenes for that. But I, I mean, essentially, you know, I'm not a tr traditionally trained object-oriented programmer, but theoretically, you know, modules is a sense that you have a class or some sort of constructor and it's a single purpose module and you can import um, other things into that module and use them, but a module is sort of the single purpose thing that you divide your application or system into. Um, you know, JavaScript previously never had anything like this that the language itself was aware of. It didn't, it didn't deal with dependencies or sort of allow you to create privately scoped modules um, that probably traditional object-oriented programmers think about. And that's where a lot of those uh, design patterns came from that people used to kind of mimic that behavior. So now, now we're getting something officially supported. Thinking about different patterns like revealing module pattern and stuff like that, uh, that that's been used to kind of get us through, <laughs> to get us through till now. Which is, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're at the end of the day, all we're talking about, a lot of those patterns were just simply based around the fact that you could immediately invoke a function and that function created a scope. <laughs> and that's, yeah. yeah, that's pretty much. And so people took that concept, that functional concept, so to speak, and, mm -hmm. and ran with it to create modules based on their understanding of previous object oriented systems. Yeah. And when you come from maybe a different language and you look at it at first, it, it looks kind of hacky. <laughs> and it, it may be a little bit, but uh, for the most part, it, it did work. Um, but hopefully this uh, new update will um, get us on the right path. Yeah. I, you know, it just occurred to me how I, I think in the past I've been pretty hard on CommonJS. But I have to admit, in just thinking about modules now, that CommonJS really did pave the way for the simplicity of um, sort of the import-export or require um, type uh, syntax. I, I mean, it really did help, I think, as a, as a ramp to the module system for JavaScript developers for people who have never used one before. Um, so... I'm trying to say something positive about CommonJS here. <laughs> well, we see a lot of things in web technologies in general that communities build, and then those things kind of get backfilled or pushed backwards into uh, either standards or they just become standards because they're being used so much the way that they are. Yeah, it's I and I yeah, it's a really good point. I don't know if you exactly meant it like this, but I mean, CommonJS. Um, has paved a great road, but what I'm fearful of is people won't leave that road now for the real thing. 
<laughs> if that makes sense. Like yeah. the stopgap, uh, you get so many people connected to the sort of in-between um, solution that now I feel we might have these year and a half, year, I don't know how long, period where people won't let go of what they know. Yeah, a lot of people do that with uh, jQuery. So that, that might be a similar uh, analogy to make. A lot of people are hanging on to jQuery, and it's still used quite frequently. Uh, there's a lot of great frameworks out there that are still built on that. Yeah, jQuery's another one that would be in, I thought would be a whole, that'd be an interesting show to have again, because I think there's a lot of thought around jQuery itself and this whole notion of is it still relevant but that could be a whole show <laughs> so let, let's dive into that uh just a little bit so uh, ecmascript 6 is this going to kind of eliminate the need for certain dependencies is this gonna like kind of fill in that gap to where we don't even need like a lot of this stuff anymore or what, what do you think about that yeah, I mean, I guess this is kind of in the vein of jQuery to some degree, but um, I th I can't think of off the top of my head today what this will immediately let us let us let go of, because even if I say something like, oh, we we can stop using AMD or Common JS abstractions like Browserify or Require JS. All we're really doing is trading those abstractions out for something that's ES6 compliant, right? So it's not, nothing immediately comes to mind where I'm like, oh, we get to drop these um, abstractions that were written over the top of the language that are really, really helpful. And jQuery is kind of a bad example here because really jQuery is an abstraction over the DOM. And maybe a better example mm -hmm. would be something like underscore or lodash, um, but I don't, I don't see, I don't see the purpose of dropping those abstractions if the API is helpful to a developer. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. No. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, a lot of the times, uh, what you'll see with these type of frameworks, like you mentioned, um, underscore, uh, is these. Uh, you know, newer uh, standards come up, they'll actually go back through their code and just make immediate calls out to the, the native function that's being called uh, to do that in the newer um, specification rather than going through their own routines to do that same function call. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it, it, and combinations, right? Like all of a sudden... You can throw a you know a fat arrow in somewhere, or you can assume that something is now iterable, you know, natively iterable that wasn't an iterator before. Like there's, there's, I don't think at least this is the way I per, I, I think of uh, the abstractions that I use. Something like like I'm a I'm a Lodash user. I don't think now that we have ex6, I can drop Lodash. I think now that we have es6, I can do this with Lodash. <laughs> That's that's more how I think about it. Okay. So other than, you know, modules, uh, we you started to talk a little bit about iterators. That's another addition um, to ES6. Uh, that's called, um, uh, what's the term they're using again for that? It, iterator and iterate, iterator and iterators. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's something new in ES6, correct? Yeah, yeah. The the there it's natively built into the language that that things follow sort of this subspect of how you iterate over something, whether that's arrays or a function or a string or whatever it is. It's 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 just a um, predefined way to think, or let's, let's call it some sort of API of how you iterate over things. Um, if you happen to be an iterator, I think generator is the term I was looking for. Is that what they use? So, ge- I mean, generator is a way using... to define a function, um, that essentially becomes iterable. It follows that okay. sort of intero- iterator interface. So all of a sudden, if I create a generator function, um, I have the ability to iterate over that using the iterator API, so to speak. So I'm going to go on a little uh, C-sharp comparison here. I know you, you're not a C-sharp developer. You probably won't follow. But uh, these are things that are comparable to uh, when C-sharp got link and uh, yield and things like that. So for anybody that's coming from uh, that side of the uh, development world will understand how important these uh, generators and iterative uh, functions are going to be. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're rather new to me. I, I understand them, you know, at the specification level. Um, but, you know, in the, I think in the JavaScript community, there's lots of people with their eyes wide open and get a glimmer in it and are like, you know, what did Doug- Douglas Crockford would always say, like, the ninjas are going to start getting stupid with this stuff. I I think <laughs> I think there's possibly a lot of people that are going to take this stuff and be like, now we can do this because of generators. And um, I mean, at the end of the day, as unless I'm not understanding generators, generators simply is a function that you can sort of start and stop and iterate through. Um, and it can, you know, it yields different things as you iterate through it. It's a pretty simple concept. Yeah, these, these are things that exist in both uh, Ruby and C Sharp right now. So the those folks would probably be able to get on board and, like you said, start hacking away. Right, and know this actually becomes part of the language. And know how, when and where to use them and when and where not to use them. That's going to be the, Correct. the important part. <laughs> So what if I wanted to learn more about ES6 and try to understand this better, what, what are some of the things I could do? Do you have any good resources that maybe you've seen or could share? Yeah. Um, I don't even think we mentioned just how recent ES6 is, but obviously it was, it was standard, standardized in um, the middle of July. Um, and so there isn't a whole lot. People have been, you know, some of the, leaders in the JavaScript community have been writing about it. And I think the only like truly official book on the topic um, is by Kyle Simpson, um, which is on GitHub. And it's, it follows his whole, you, you don't know JavaScript uh, series. Um, but there's actually three books out there right now, and we can link them in the show notes, but uh, Zacchaeus with it, which is, uh, I mean, Nicholas, Nick, Nicholas Zakis is the guy who wrote uh, the JavaScript books I read and, and learned JavaScript on. Um, he has another uh, book in GitHub as well. Um, I'm not sure how he'll eventually fi- finally publish that. 
Um, and then there's also exploring JavaScript uh, out there. There's actually three ES6 books. They're all, um, two of them are in GitHub, and one of them is free online to read. And we can link those up. But those are um, those are amazing resources by three amazing JavaScript uh, people um, that are mostly free, awesome, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, add those to the show notes, which you can find at developer.telerik.com. So in regards to ES6, if I'm a web developer, should I be concerned about uh, my browser be you know, browser support? Uh, is this something that's going to be a problem maybe if I'm, I have users that are on IE? Yeah, I mean, as much as we all wish that browsers were as evergreen as we want them to be the i think the fact is is that browsers are still slow to because browser manufacturers are busy people and have a lot to do they're slow to implement specifications and so we're always going to be i guess i shouldn't say always but we're we are currently in the midst of struggling with waiting to some degree not even to some degree we're waiting on browsers to implement uh, newer javascript features and in fact we'll put a link into the uh, notes to a great resource sort of outlines which engines and browsers uh, are currently supporting ES6 and ES5 features. It's super helpful. But yeah, I mean, we're kind of playing the waiting game um, to see who who can implement the specification and give, get us the features that we want to use in ES6. And it's it's not, obviously, it's not great right now for... Well, it's not even, I don't know if you, I'd even say it's great for even the newest browsers, because um, great to me would be 90% plus, uh, but even the newer browsers aren't, there's no new browser out there that has 100% compliance with ECMAScript 6, so we're definitely playing the waiting game. But, I mean, this so, is... So we're, talking, we're talking bleeding edge. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, this is, you know, that's not the end of the story, right? <laughs> is there, you know, is there something that we could do or there's some uh practices practices we can follow uh to make sure that we don't put ourselves in hot water uh when it comes to browser support i mean just be honest with what you have to support you know if you have to support ie8 then i i would think very long and very hard about which version of javascript you want to craft a, a system or a piece of software in um you know if if I, I feel like sometimes I've been on projects where we've done the people who pay for the software disjustice by trying to push them, f push the code forward. And then all that ends up happening is, is we have thousands of bugs that are reported at QA for IE8 when the code should have just been written for the lowest common denominator. Um, I think you just have to be honest in those situations and be like, hey, ES3 and maybe one or two parts of ES5 is what I have to work with and, and go from there. So know your know your customers, know your clients. Yeah. Work and, from there. and just be honest with the the what you have to support. <laughs> I mean restrain yourself from trying to use the newest, coolest things if you can't. <laughs> right. It you know, I you know, if you're one of those lucky developers that is building something that only needs to run on, you know, IE9 Plus and all modern browsers, then you're in a whole different ballpark and a whole different avenue of options open up to you. 
And in, and in truth, um, today you can get about 70, 60, 70% of ECMAScript um, 6 working in your development code, right? Like that's, um, that's amazing. <laughs> um, but obviously that comes with some caveats and some, some details that, that are still there even though you're supporting modern browsers. So has anybody started creating like any kind of polyfills or anything like that to try to patch those things up so older, older browsers might be able to at least get by? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I wrote I wrote an article maybe four, five, six months ago. I can't remember now. But it was kind of this like article about how if I'm in an ES3 world, how do I get to an ES5 world and how do I get to a to an ES6 world? And for a long time, the answer to that was polyfills. It was sort of, you know, add this script file that will polyfill these features, some of these features in the, the newer specifications for you. Um, and that, uh, I think that worked for quite some time. But um, in the last year, in the JavaScript world, I guess CoffeeScript has kind of been doing this for a while, but in the last year, I think what's really become apparent is how valuable um, transpiling code is, especially since we're getting so sophisticated in the JavaScript world that we have these complex build steps or task running tools. Um, so it's become trivial possibly to transpile or transform ES6 code, you know, down to ES5 code. And, um, that gets us a lot of ES6 code today uh, for browsers, what we might still call modern browsers, but not cutting edge browsers. Does that make sense? So, um, so you're you're talking about things like TypeScript, CoffeeScript, uh, writing in those, and then those those uh, supersets uh, of those languages uh, pushing out um, compliant JavaScript code that'll run on earlier browsers. Yeah, I think I want to make a... St I didn't pull those words out because I think there's a really important distinction here between something like CoffeeScript and TypeScript and, and uh, let's say Babel.js. Uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, the concept of transpiling is just simply taking code um, and, and transforming it into the same language, but maybe for a different specification or something slightly different with it. But people can use that concept for all sorts of things. You know, TypeScript and CoffeeScript, in my mind, their goal is to use it to add to the language. To, because they're saying, um, yes, we like the new specification, but we also like these other things. Okay. And we want those other things. Whereas today what we have is, and I'm talking about Babel.js here, we have a transpiler that says, no, I, I just want what's new. I don't want to add to it. I don't want to take away from it. I just want to support what is in the standard and give that to people today. And the distinction I'm making is, is that distinction is those are two different goals or reasons for transpiling. And they really separate um, Babel from CoffeeScript or TypeScript. Uh, but, but of course with TypeScript, uh, you can, you can get a lot of the ES6 features as well. Is that? No, that's a, that's an excellent answer. Um, I'm, I think people would really appreciate the, uh, 
perspective on those different things. Um, I think you're right. The, the TypeScript and CoffeeScript look to kind of extend the language into a, a different space and add things that um, are almost custom, you know, beyond uh, what JavaScript's supposed to do. And uh, I, I wasn't even aware myself about Babel. Uh, it sounds very interesting. I have to go do some research on that. Yeah, I mean, so for me, I'm I am a um, I, I hate to use the word purist or <laughs> I'm a, a I kind of went kicking. Yeah, well, I kind <laughs> of, I, I still, I, you know, I never used a um, CSS preprocessor. I never, I never used a, anything that changed the language itself to something else. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't use those things if it works for their brains and they like it and they like the way some subjective way that, um, somebody's taken a language or something that's great do do what works for your brain um, I for me personally I have a hard enough time being an expert at the specification itself that's just what I concern myself with so I want to be an expert at what's standardized and in the spec <laughs> um, adding on to that like makes my b- brain explode sometimes <laughs> yeah. and sometimes it adds a little bit more complexity uh, depending on what it is um, you get into things like SAS and CSS, though. Uh, there's some features that SA- uh, standard CSS just lacks so badly. Uh, simple things like variables that just make a world of difference. So, I mean, I, there's definitely a fine line there, though. Well, and there's a tug of there's a tug of war here. Like, I I understand, you know, in the jQuery community, we sort of had this mantra for a while where. You know, we we were out there doing things that weren't exactly in the specification in the hopes that developers would use it, improve it, and then that would become something that would want to be standardized. Um, So I understand the concept of of being, you know, essentially, I think a lot of people try to replace the standard committee, which creates these proposals, these straw man proposals, and all these really smart people like hammer out the details and they do this all verbally. Well, some people just want to bypass that and evolve a language overnight and then reuse it and see how that works. <laughs> and yeah, we've and then, got... Then you can you can get caught in those battles of, say, TypeScript you know, versus CoffeeScript. You know, which one do you choose? Now, when you go out for a job interview, you got to know both. You yeah. Know? <laughs> You got to hope one wins out above the other, so you only have to learn one at the end of the day, type of a thing. Yeah, that's a very preg. Like I have to admit, my pragmatic mind thinks that way at times. Where I'm like, I'm safe if I know the standard, <laughs> right? Like coffee, like <laughs> these other things might come and go, um, and and maybe they stay for a long time. I don't know, but at least I'm 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 a safe play guy. Like I don't, I'm a safe play <laughs> kind of person. I think that gives people an excellent uh, idea of what XMAScript is and uh, where it's coming from and why we need it. So I really appreciate you doing the show with me, uh, Cody. Yeah, no, I enjoyed the conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to leave people with? Yeah, just uh, we'll we'll have uh, some links just to, to get people uh, sort of into this world of uh, ES6 and what's changing and some of the resources and... Gosh, so many people are talking about ES6 right now. There's just so much stuff out there, and 
Um, yeah, no, I use the resources that are out there. I, it's amazing to me that we uh, are in a community where so much content, so many people have this concept of like, I want to share and I want to make sure that people that can't afford to pay for that uh, get it. And I love that about the JavaScript community. So uh, for anybody that's outside of the community, I think that's a really good way to get them in be, to be like, hey, you know, it's not like, hey, go buy, go get this certification or buy this thing. It's go to GitHub and read this book. It's free. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that uh, as developers, uh, we've, we've kind of uh, all kind of started pushing that path, blazing that trail where, uh, you know, we want other people to do what we're doing because we enjoy it. And uh, we put as much information out there as possible for people to learn on their own and be self-taught developers. Yeah, it's a good, great time to be a developer. No doubt about it. So I'll link up uh, some of the things we talked about in the show notes. You can find those at developer.telleric.com. Uh, thanks again, Cody, for being on the show. Thanks, man. 